Blog Talk Radio. The Marketing Technology Blog Radio Show with Douglas Carr, founder of the Marketing Technology Blog and author of Corporate Blogging for Dummies, online marketing strategies, web, search, social, email, mobile, news, tips, tricks, and best practices from actual marketers, search professionals, and social media experts. Hey, everybody. This is Doug. It's Friday, and as usual, we're, uh, we're doing a little bit of scrambling here. Um, good old AT&T we were on the phone with for an hour right before the show trying to get our network back up. Um, so we are dialing into this call. We're going to... Uh, we're going to call John and have him dial in um, here in a minute, so we'll we'll get him on board. Um, so some some good news today, just from us. If you didn't notice, uh, one of our presentations that we did, we did a webinar last week with uh, Compendium Blogware, and uh, and it kind of went viral today. It was called SEO is Dead, so it made the home screen of SlideShare. And uh, and we're getting thousands of views and a bunch of visitors back to the site, which is always good. Um, and and I should say that it was a little bit of link bait, of course. You know, we don't think that SEO is is dead. We do think that the industry though has to transform if it wishes to keep up. And that's that. It used to be that SEO was all about the math. You know, going in and tweaking keywords and tweaking pages and tweaking platforms. Well. Platforms have really kind of caught up, uh, and now it's really a matter of how you're writing great content and how you're promoting content, and then the audiences that are sharing that content with you. So, if you get a chance, go to uh, go to the front cover of SlideShare, look for SEO is dead, and um, and give us a thumbs up and a and a favorite and retweet and like and and the rest of it. So we'll keep this ball rolling. So, so SEO is not dead; it's evolved. It's evolved, but it's almost it's almost uh it's almost something that you don't have to work very hard on anymore. So uh, it's 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 a little bit different. Hey John, we got you on the line. Yeah, absolutely. Good afternoon. Hey, how are you doing, sir? So we 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 have we have this we have this kind of funny thing every single Friday when we start the show. Everything is kind of calm and cool and and you know at at two o'clock we're all prepared. And then all of a sudden, our something all hell breaks loose. Either the network goes down, or or something happens. So it never fails. So we were literally on the phone with AT and T right up until a couple minutes um, right before the show, and and uh, we're dialing in. Of course, had you dial in, so thank you very much for doing that. And um, and, and we're here though. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I'm glad it all worked out, but you know, life is like that, and. Uh, just good thing it's a Friday. We can all kind of shrug it off if, if things go sideways. So that's exactly how I feel about it. Is oh well, you know, it's it's Friday, so our ten listeners will be disappointed for the. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We have, I think we're we're averaging about a thousand a show now, so it's it's a uh, it's a nice growing show. And next week we'll blame it on uh, uh, sunspots and uh, Chinese cyber terrorists. There you go. That's a, that's well, as long as you got some some monitoring happening, uh, your perimeter should be secure. So. <laughs> that's actually a big thing. I, I don't know if you guys have read the news uh, 
the anonymous group, the hacker group, has been going after China today. Right. Defaced, well, I think it was yesterday and the day before, they defaced a whole bunch of sites and gave people directions to, to put directions on, on the front of the site on the home pages for how Chinese Internet users could bypass the filters that the Chinese government has put in place on the Internet. So, wow. You know, proxy bypass, that sort of stuff. Wow. That's incredible. So, yeah, hacktivism uh, goes real, right? Yeah, yeah. They were saying also that uh, because of their efforts and what they're doing, it, it's it's caused the uh, the pipes on the internet to the point where a lot of sites and stuff were having trouble. You know, they were reacting very slowly, loading very slowly because they were pushing so much data uh, through through the pipes into Asia. So, yeah, that's what I had heard too. Was literally it's slowing down the internet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they must put a hell of a bot out there, you know, and and, and uh, triggered it. So that's that's a, yeah. I think they're messing with the wrong people now, though. <laughs> We've had problems with China getting into our networks. I don't know if I want to be a hacker out there attacking those guys. Well, let's let's get on to pragmatic marketing, John. Um, first, thanks a lot for uh, spending a Friday afternoon with us. We really appreciate your time, and uh, and tell us a little bit about how you. You know how you started your career. We always like to kind of hear the personal side of of how people got into this, and and then um, and then how it's evolving, and then we'll get to talking about pragmatic marketing as well. Great, great. Uh, well, certainly, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate the opportunity to come speak to you and and, and have an open discussion. But uh, yeah, my career is pretty interesting. Um, I'm not sure I woke up any day and said, you know what, I want to be a marketer. Um, I think what you know happened over time. I actually started out in academics and uh, teaching geography, geology, doing some geeky stuff around uh, geographic information systems, remote sensing. So, kind of had this this passion for tech. And then, uh, while I'm working in grad school, a friend of mine said, "You know, this internet thing's probably going to take off, and there's this company in Ann Arbor, and they're hiring smart people." And uh, and so I th- kind of thought that was nice that he first put me in the smart person category, and uh, second, yeah, you know, and then uh, gave me the opportunity to actually go work for the company. It was a small little uh, automotive software company, and I uh, started out effectively as a business analyst. It's pretty interesting interview. Um, being an academic, I was uh, a little concerned. Yeah, you know, do I have any skills to do this? And and so I asked him what the, the role of being a business analyst was. They, you know, the person went on for like a five or seven minute rant of, here's your, you know, the job responsibilities. And I kind of sat there silent for a second. And I'm like, oh, you want me to listen and draw boxes and arrows? I can do that. And uh, and and that was my first job in tech, and uh, I did that for. A little bit of time, and then, uh, as many companies in the, in the bubble era went through mergers, acquisitions, uh, I woke up one day to a to an acquisition, and uh, they didn't have business analysts. Uh, and so it was a little kind of a interesting time. But the closest role they had was a product manager, and since that day, I've been a product manager you know, in technology companies. So that's kind of how I made it into tech in general and, and marketing as a discipline. And then I've had other roles throughout, whether it's running corporate strategy, mergers, acquisitions uh, for small and medium-sized businesses and portfolios. 
So that's fundamentally the, the formal role in doing the work. And I've been blogging around technology now for, I guess it's going on five years. Guy, uh, in fact, I noticed you had Chris Carfee on uh, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, yeah. I, I worked for that. I worked for Chris for a little while. It was a pleasure, and he introduced me to my first blog. And I guess that was probably 2002, 2003. And uh, I think I threw away five or six blogs before I settled in on spatially relevant. And I've been kind of talking about tech marketing and, and the intersection of you know, how can you use technology to uh, influence your space. And uh, then I joined That's Pragmatic now. I guess I'm officially starting into my third year, and it's a, a wonderful role. Uh, never worked with such a, a smart group of folks, from the founder, Craig Stoll, all the way down to, to everyone that we work with. It's a, it's a great team. In the uh, spirit of full disclosure, uh, I guess uh, I should let folks know that John and I also uh, worked together for a spell there at, uh, uh, what was that company, John? It was, uh, well, you were Extricity, and then we yep. uh, acquired that at Peregrine. So, yeah, Peregrine Systems is where we were at. Many, many moons ago, huh? Many moons ago. Well, you know, you, you talked about, um, you know, drawing circles with arrows, or drawing blocks with arrows, and, and I got to say that that's, you know, it, it's, I, it's probably not ironic that you said that because pragmatic marketing has, quite an ingenious framework um, that can be expanded upon. You know, it's a really great framework when you look at, you know, product management and marketing um, and, and the role of, you know, strategy when it comes to marketing. Um, if anybody hasn't seen that yet, they should go to the Pragmatic Marketing uh, site at pragmaticmarketing.com. And I think it was probably, I'm, I'm guessing that it was probably three or four years ago that I actually got, Introduced, and I think I read I read um, I read the book, um, and then soon after I remember uh, I, I was reading the book, and it was talking a lot about whether people were talking about themselves or their customers online, which was really kind of ahead of the curve. Social media hadn't really taken off yet. Blogging was starting to, but it was still personal blogging, and and the folks at Pragmatic were starting to talk about. You know, are you talking about yourself or are you talking about your customers? Because if you're talking about yourself, nobody's listening. And so I got so excited that I literally sat there and developed, like, overnight this uh, calculator. And it was a little dial, basically, that looked at your Twitter uh, RSS feed and your blog feed and said, am I talking about myself or am I talking about other people? And uh, and that's how you, that's how Pragmatic got a hold of me was when I launched that and talked about the book. Um, they promoted the you know the crap out of it and and everybody got a kick out of it. It was just a dumb little tool, um, but at the centerpiece of it was the importance of um, of not talking about yourself about talking about your customers. Yeah, I mean you know understanding your buyers, you know you know creating that resonator you know that that really addresses their needs not your needs as an organ. If you address the market's needs, the rest of the, the business elements come together. Uh, and, and it doesn't need to be about banging, you know, you know beating your chest as a vendor. Uh, how can you really understand those buyers and speak to them in a the language that resonates? I mean, that's the, that's the most critical thing most marketers can do from an outbound perspective is 
you know, tell them we understand. I think that's a, a huge opportunity. And, you know, when you reference the framework, um, I mean, I've been living that since the first six weeks that I became a product manager. I guess that would have been 2000, 2001. I mean, I, I got the new role from Boxes and Arrows to go be a product manager, and one of the first things they did is they sent me to to go see a pragmatic course. And I've actually lived by that framework day in, day out. Uh, and my wife would actually say she that I might be running my life by it right now, now that I actually work for him. So that's a... Uh, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to to go through the uh, the uh, product marketing class uh, with Adele back in oh gosh it was 2008 and at about that time also you know got heavily involved in the whole uh, social media phenomenon and and it was interesting to you know going from 2008 to the present how um, everything is converging on that on the whole notion that you know, it isn't about what you think you are and about what you think you can provide. It's all about interacting, engaging, asking customers, asking the marketplace. Uh, we're seeing that from a from an inbound marketing perspective, that has become uh, more important than ever, I, I think, because a lot of the efforts that were put into things like SEO um, were probably misguided, um, and certainly Siler and, and, and um uh, Doug can talk about that at great length, but um, what's your perspective on what you're hearing from the students that that attend uh, your courses with you know with respect to um, inbound marketing and social media and all that stuff? Yeah, there's kind of there's kind of two main threads. There's the tools discussion. You know, uh, what tools should we use? Which I then translate into what places I should be at because very often. Um, the tools almost, you know, in and of themselves, as the communities develop, develop as the niches even inside those communities develop with something like hashtags and the like on Twitter. I, mean, I think it's more about where you should be rather than the tool you should use. Uh, yeah. But a lot of the discussions center on the, the on the tools, and, and I think that that's you know an interesting kind of emerging tech approach rather than a mature look at how I can better my business, how I can integrate these capabilities to achieve the strategies of the organization rather than what shiny object can I implement because someone just, you know, one of my executives just got off a flight talking to a peer on, on the flight and they're doing X. Why aren't we doing X, whatever that tool is? So I think that that's one discussion. And the other discussion is kind of around content in general. How do you create meaningful content? And and I think some people think it's column inches when actually it's valuable buyer-focused content, right, rather than just creating content for content's sake. I think there's a lot of people writing right now, but writing without a mission or writing without a, a target in their mind. So that, that's kind of what I'm seeing. I and mean, what are you guys seeing in your group there? Well, that's, that's exactly it. And, it, and it goes to what Marty was just saying was, you know, I mean, the, the misguidance, if you will, and, I, and you know, I, I guess I would, you know, SEO, let's say, a year ago. I'm not sure there was necessarily misguidance because it, you, got, you got what you wanted. You know, you gained the system a little bit. You got a lot more eyeballs on your stuff. The question was whether it was actually valuable to your to your company or not, and I think that 
you know, online media as a whole, what it taught us as marketers was eyeballs don't matter anymore. You know, I don't need as a, you know, DK New Media does not need 100,000 visitors to our blog every single month. We just need five people that absolutely need our products and services. That's all we need. And so the focus, you know, I think is is the, the turn that we're doing with every customer now is where we may have been pushing them into more content, more content, more content before. Now we're talking to them about richer content, content that really matters, content that really drives people's attention, content that builds their authority in the space so that people look up to what they're saying. And 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 once they get that in place, then the rest is just dominoes. You know, I mean, what winds up happening is, of course, what you write takes off. And, of course, when it takes off, it reaches the right people. And when it reaches the right people, those people talk about it even more. And when those people talk about it even more, then the search engines recognize that and you rank better. And so we, we'd much rather have our customers working on better content than um, – and we still want them producing content, but, but we want them producing really rich content that, that ultimately is shareable. We, the, the old space of just, you know, here's 400 keywords, go write blog posts on all of them so that we can rank, um, I think it's dead, you know, and that's why – now more than ever, the irony is now more than ever is I think PR is alive and well. You know, you you have to have people that have connections that have influence that that can get that word out so that you know you get in front of the right audience. Yeah, I mean, I think I think before, I mean, in, you can put you know ten months, twelve months, twenty four months, whatever timeline. There was a perception that the volume of content got your organization scale. Right. And I think increasingly it's the quality of content that gets your organization vis- visible and creates actionable interactions. Well, I think, the, you know, to that point, even a year ago when folks talked about SEO, it was, it was, it was all about rank. And, you know, it kind of reminded me of a story I read recently about a guy who ran some sort of amateur 5K race and won. He got first place, but he ran it on the wrong day. He was the only runner. <laughs> so, you know, get, getting back to this notion, you know, content really to some extent touches upon that whole notion of the those long tail, you know, key phrases that are really touching upon the types of things that people are looking for and talking about and, it, it doesn't always mean that it literally equates to rank. I think what it equates to is relevance. And then what you do with it uh, afterwards, of course, that's what we're all getting the paid big bucks for, I guess. Well, and, and, yeah. I, and I think that's the other piece is content didn't have a start date and an end date either. You know, I mean, we, we have blog posts. I, I was looking today. Someone, re, you know, started retweeting a blog post that I had written, I think, about a year ago. And it took off. A bunch of people are talking about it now, and and so now it's now I have to jump back into that conversation and talk to those people and maybe talk about what's changed and and everything else. And I think that's you know that's it. It's a living, breathing machine, and um, you know it's it's not enough just to slap stuff out there anymore. You gotta you gotta put your name behind it, and and it's got to be valuable. No, I mean, you mean, you mean content only has an expiration when it's no longer meaningful. I think um, 
Yeah, exactly. I think we all have content on our blogs, our websites that just you know hits our target, and you know people keep engaging and sharing it. At, at Pragmatic, we have a post that says, "You can't innovate like Apple." I believe is the name of it. And you know this will go through spiky interactions, and it just reinvigorates the conversation around that idea online. And as it gets, I think it's almost two years old now. And every time it gets found, the conversation kind of turns based on where the market's moved, based on, um, you know, of course, with the, the death of Steve Jobs, there was some interest there. But it, it, it's it's interesting that the, a single piece of well-written content lives on its own, even if the markers in the market or the, the markers in technology move considerably. It's still valuable for the discussion. Absolutely. John, are you seeing, uh, along those lines, are, are you seeing any trends when it comes to um, the, the sort of the meat and potatoes of, of, of product uh, managers um, that they're putting out? In other words, you know, case studies, uh, you know, data sheets, whatever. Are, are, are you seeing any trends where, you know, that's, that whole area is improving or is it pretty much status quo? You know, I think, I think everyone's looking for a different approach, but, you know, I think there's, you know, there's the desire and the, and the reality. I think, well, um, there's a lot of good intentions from many, many organizations. I think that the ones that want to truly stand out are implementing those implementations. I mean, I think we all get kind of stuck in the day-to-day grind and yeah, you know, there's other parts of the organization that has this laundry list of things they expect from marketing. And if you start prioritizing your efforts and your activities to doing it in a new way or a different way, you know, that can be kind of and create friction, you know, from a sales organization that was you know, always expecting the one pager that looked like this for a leave behind to get them comfortable that the leave behind, while interesting, might not be actually what your buyer's looking for. And so I see what, you know, lots of organizations taking different approaches to uh, collateral and content, whether it's managing collateral currency via applications on their iPad, turning, you know, different hardware mediums into display devices to, you know, those that have said, you know what, all goes online. We don't put anything on our intranet. Our customers now have access to all of our content and they'll tell us if it's meaningful and if it's not, then we'll, we'll, we'll start again. So I think there's some, Interesting things that are happening out there. It's just not wholesale, but it's like any adoption of, an, of a new a new discipline, right? Well, let's let's take a break. I want to. Um, we have a couple of sponsors, and uh, we're talking with Gonjuchel. Uh, oh, that was that would that would have been good. Huh? <laughs> John Gutchell of uh, Pragmatic Marketing and Specially Rele- Specially Relevant Blog. Um, we'll listen to a word from uh, from our great sponsor, Zoomerang. Uh, also known as SurveyMonkey now, uh, and we'll be right back in 40 seconds. Or maybe we won't. <laughs> well, we can do it manually. <laughs> Marty, you do the music, and I'll do the Paul and Pete voiceover. <laughs> well, I can I, I can uh, tell folks about SurveyMonkey because obviously they're not only a client, but we we use their their stuff. We love it, um, and they are doing some amazing things right now. Uh, coming up with great new tools to help 
uh, their customers optimize uh, the effectiveness of the surveys they're putting out and also uh, coming up with real cutting-edge methods for actually interpre interpreting the results they're getting from the survey recipients. They're doing some other cool stuff where um, they have cool little tools like you can add something that after the survey um, you can enter a little contest and you know if you if you win they'll make a donation to one of your favorite charities. So they're really coming up with some great ideas. Yeah, and, they, and I think they're kind of the market leaders at knowing, you know, just like that, what incentives make people complete surveys and stuff. And the other, the other one too that people don't, that rarely, they rarely know is that uh, that they have their own survey takers as well. You can actually go get audience. They they have people that they have all the demographic and geographic information on them. So if you wanted to go into a new market, let's say, and um, and and do some surveying of uh, you know or do focus group type type things, um, you can basically target and then purchase those survey respondents as well. And I think a lot of people a lot of people start a survey and they know um, the stats are out there for SurveyMonkey. You know as far as what is uh, you know, acceptable error ratio and how many people you need to take a survey before you get the right answer. And sometimes you just can't get enough people to take the survey. So, um, you know, it's great that you can actually go out there and just grab people to do that as well. And also I think just as importantly, they threw a, what I've been told was a really great party at South by Southwest. <laughs> <laughs> so that always counts too. Absolutely. So, John, John, tell us more, a little bit more about what's coming around the curve with uh, pragmatic marketing. I, I, I mean, obviously the framework continues to, um, I shouldn't say continues to expand, but it expands slowly as the mediums and as the tool sets are out there. Um, but what do you think, um, you know, is, is there something on the horizon for pragmatic marketing, either uh, a new book coming out from some of the leaders there or um, some new classes or what, what, what's next? Well, I think uh, you know maybe since you joined, we we probably launched some courses since uh, maybe you're familiar with them. Um, we brought to market a uh, product launch course that really focuses on what's the role of the the person who's accountable for the number and delivering those results to the business. So it's not really you know drilled down for lack of a better phrase on release management or uh, feature rollout. It's like how do you introduce a new product uh, into your current markets? How do you drive um, new products uh, or the old products into new markets, and it's a, clearly a more strategic look at that. And then maybe another course that has uh, been developed since uh, you were maybe originally familiar with us is, a, is a, a set of activities around the Agile methodologies. How do you build the right product using Agile methodologies from a development perspective? So we've got those those key things that... Uh, that uh, may be new to you and, and, and your organization and some folks that are listening right now, but we did just release our annual survey. We do an annual survey. I guess this is our 12th one. I think if I'm counting right, I think it's our 12th one, where we look at the state of the union, for lack of a better phrase, of um, all product managers, product marketers, and technology companies. Uh, what are your salaries by region? What are your responsibilities? Who's responsible for market problems? product roadmap, messaging or positioning rather, and um, who deals with uh, interviewing win-loss, who owns that in your business. So there's a, I think that's probably the newest thing out, and that came out, I guess, in the last three weeks probably. Okay, and, uh, exactly. 
Yeah, and then I, I always find that found that excite, insightful when I was uh, not with pragmatic. Because let me say, you know, here's the common definition of roles that we see, or the common clustering of activities that given roles or titles uh, cover in, uh, in, in technology around marketing. But uh, there's there's a good deal of diversity. Uh, I think that's you know one of the big challenges that continue to come up in technology and marketing is who does what. It is social comes online as new technologies as, as the marketing technologist shows up you know where does that person's role stop and begin so we're seeing some interesting things you know emerging out of that traditional survey as well around new titles and and uh, new priorities and and I, I love that you brought up uh, you know as far as the new courses uh, agile for folks that don't understand what Agile development is it's basically a uh, there's a couple different frameworks and methodologies for doing it, but it's basically quick iterations. So the old school way of doing software was you know that heads down developers would work for months and they would have these mega releases where they would release a ton of information. So it would be you know a comparative would be you know um, OS nine and then OS ten and you know whatever. But now these iterative releases, which, you know, even Apple is kind of going to the OS 9.1 or 9.2 Lion and Leopard and, and all of these, um, what it allows for is obviously it allows you to make quicker decisions. It allows you to get things to market a little bit faster. Um, it it educates your staff, I think, and, and really gets your staff motivated uh, and moving, you know, at a at a quicker pace you can still do the long-term strategic um, moves that you need to, but you would you would basically plug those in at different iterations throughout the life, you know, throughout the development cycle. Uh, I think, you know, I'm not sure of a software as a service company that that really hasn't assumed, you know, agile development as a, you know, as a as a methodology internal. So, and then I think, you know, for the most part, we tend to look at marketing very similar too. That you know, as we're marketing our our clients, we want to be agile in that if something happens with their product or their service or they get a mention, um, we want to be able to be responsive to that immediately, not you know wait till our monthly meeting next month and uh, and discuss what we're doing. So I think that that type of fluid you know um, process is really becoming kind of mainstream both both um, in product marketing product management, um, development, you know, and, and even traditional marketing. Yeah, and I think that's exactly uh, a fair statement. In fact, uh, I see agile methodologies as, you know, more ways to manage projects, manage requirements and priorities in, in you know, a more um, dynamic fashion. I mean, because if, you, if you've ever developed software, you go down the path of the monolithic release, you uh, run into a bug, or better yet, the market changes in that 18-month development cycle. So, how, how do you back up from a 18 months worth of development to, pl to plug the right capabilities in later in the stage? So, I think it's more about change management and uh, a philosophy of being willing to listen and change based on what your customers and buyers are looking for. And then, right. and then uh, I mean, that's how I saw it. And uh, to the point that you made about marketing once you know i had the success of working in scrum uh from a development perspective 
I saw that that increase in velocity, that that new work mode, you know, required that the rest of the business, or at least some main areas that were impacted by the the content delivery and development, needed to consider an agile method. And and I actually worked on organizations where we used Scrum as part of the, the way we manage marketing. And when I went to a, my last company before Pragmatic, I put, I put Scrum in, in nearly every part of the business, you know, maybe not in totality uh, in the executive team, but we got to the point where we did daily stand-ups to make sure well, we had better communication and visibility of what is going on in the organization. And I, and I would recommend it to everybody. Just try, you know, try to you know, create an atmosphere that's a little bit more progressive where um, those daily stand-ups are incredible. You know, I mean, I think the, the I think ours are midnight <laughs> midnight sit-downs when we're all, uh, Jen, Marty, and I are emailing each other in the middle of the night kind of going through news and all of, uh, all of what our, you know, what's happening with our clients. But it's absolutely uh, critical nowadays. It, you know, even uh, – I was I was uh, watching. It, it, we talked about the presentation a little bit earlier. That we did a presentation, and it was a little bit of link baiting. But SEO is dead. And one of the things that we referred to was Google. Um, Google did a video on the five mistakes that uh, people make when it comes to SEO. And one of the last mistakes was not being agile. You know, and and so what's happening is the industry is changing. The technology is changing. Things like um, you know authorship and rich snippets and uh, these technologies that are coming out for search engines, the people that are first to market with those and 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 can uh, accommodate those the quickest usually can grab market share out of that. And this old methodology of well you know we're going to stay safe and we're going to stay back and we're going to wait until everybody adopts it and when everybody adopts it. That's when we'll do it because you know that's 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 the safe way around things. I think the problem with that is by the time you wait till everybody else is doing it, you've just been surpassed. You know, you've been surpassed in technology, you've been surpassed in the audience share, uh, everything. And 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 then by the time you do it, it's an expectation of your company and it has minimal impact. Yeah, they don't understand that it's really you know, 18 months of dedication and working, understanding, looking at the metrics, tweaking your approach to engaging the audience. Am I in the right location? Do I write the right topics? Am I, you know, am I, am I broadcasting my message in, in a way that they actually hear it? I mean, there's so much, I call it experimentation, and you've got to have a culture of experimentation and measurement to get really good at a lot of these new marketing um, technologies that, that are out there that we can leverage because if you don't have that kind of culture of, Oop, I goofed up, I can try better next time and be willing to just suck it up, I think that you'll lose the opportunity that uh, the experience gives you over time. But in general, you, you just might give up because you're not getting the expected returns. You thought, well, we're blogging now. Where are the 4,000 people that should be reading me? Well, once you write 4,000 posts, and then maybe you'll have 4,000 people reading. You know what I mean? I think there's this, well, we turned it on. I mean, it reminds me of an IBM, I can't remember the an IBM commercial of Magic Pixie Dust, Server Pixie Dust. If you could just buy this, everything would be okay. And it was and it was the general, you know, parody, and it was a great piece for IBM, which is, you know, again, uh, you, know, you don't typically think of them as a parody organization, 
but to say, you know, there is no such thing as pixie dust. You got to know your business. You got to do the work. And if you don't know your business and you aren't willing to do the work, guess what? You're, you're kind of maybe not going to have what you're looking for. That's exactly it. We keep telling people, you know, everybody's looking for that magic bullet. And when you look at, you know, our client stats, and I'm sure it's the same with your guys's, you see this nice incremental slow increase, you know, in response, in conversions, in in all of those things. And when we see drastic changes, we actually get a little bit concerned. Um, and and uh, because we know it's hard work, we know that you know every every you know 10% market share that we can gain for a client is going to be grueling, and it's going to take a ton of work. And um, couldn't agree more there. And I, and I also think you know with the, the this mad dash on the part of the enterprise players, the IBMs, the SAPs, Salesforce, you, Oracles, you name it. They're all, you know, leveraging tremendous resources um, focused on social collaboration. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what types of organizations can, you know, if they're already, you know, adhering to or, or, or using agile methodologies internally, it seems like social collaboration is just a natural, um, it's just a natural partner for that, you know, for, the, for that whole phenomenon. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, IBM has been doing some really interesting things around uh, agility and and social media. They've been doing those that webinar series or that uh, social media, uh, for lack of a better phrase, lecture series. I think, um, that, that I think is is fairly interesting. But uh, I think a lot of those companies are changing how they do business, and they're maybe they're not necessarily doing it organically, right? They're doing it by way of acquisition, uh, bringing in different talent pools different platforms, different mode of solutioning, right, from enterprise software to SaaS. And so as the market changes so quickly, I think many of these, you know, tra- you know quote-unquote traditional software pl- enterprise players, you know, they don't necessarily have the heritage DNA to, to make that shift turn. And I think that's why you'll see some, that's why we continue to see some of these assimilations or acquisitions of talent, if not integration of the application, Organizations are looking for different ways to do it, and sometimes their legacy cultures are, are, are creating friction or creating an anchor that they can't move away from. And how, and how you know, as you're working with, I mean, obviously you're working with some of those organizations. You know, how, how difficult it is, is it to, to move that culture internal? Is it, you know, do you just keep pointing at, you know, here's the guys that are racing up your tail and, and they're going to take you over and get, get them scared? Or is it, you know, or is it something that they acknowledge that, you know, is an inherent problem with their, you know, huge, you know, management culture? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I talk a little, you know, at kind of a high level. Um, you know, I think when organizations come to Pragmatic, and for those of you that don't know, we provide training and consulting um, around technology and product product management. The, at the point that they come to us, you know, they're looking for common language, a common understanding of who does what, and a better way to execute in the marketplace. So they've, they've kind of already come to this. Our organization has the opportunity to get better. There's methods and practices out there that we aren't leveraging. How, how can we adopt those? How can we augment those? How can we integrate, integrate that into the, the good things we're already doing to maintain our lead or to get 
a bigger lead in the marketplace. I, I think it's always time, right? I mean, I've, I've implemented the framework at uh, several different companies. If you think in terms of mergers and acquisitions, every time was different. I mean, cultural boundaries, personal uh, egos, organizational design or compartmentalization, every single one of those times I did it, it, was, it wasn't a cookie cutter. I, I, I did what I could at, at that particular point in time. I'm always, you know, there's a quote from Seth Godin that just is always in my mind. And I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this. I'm horrible at it. But this is how I remember it, so I'm going to tell you. Uh, if you want to change something, start small and, and be excellent or be remarkable at it. And, you know, I think that's all we can ever do. If, as long as we're focusing on getting better at one thing, progress, not perfection, I think that's where the, the strategic marketers, I think that's where early stage and the career marketers, if they can just grab onto, perf- you know, progress, not perfection, and being willing to always just open your eyes and say, did I do that right? Could I do it better? I think that's, you know, cultures that allow managers, directors, and VPs to do that are the ones that are seeing significant progress with developing their teams, putting together the right organization, and building the right products. Well, that's, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, and when you're transparent about, you know, what those things are that you're great at and, and the things that you're not so great at, you, you also have the advantage of finding the right customers as well. And and yeah. they, they recognize where you're excellent and, and where your weaknesses are so they're not, you know, beating the crap out of you all the time. And, John, it also, it also sounds like, you know, not only are you, not only are you teaching you know your customers the, the the framework, if you will, but but to some extent you're also you know letting them know that it's it's, it's all right to incorporate the notion of failure, um, to to be open about it and to learn from it. Yeah, I mean I think it's always you know use the data and lessons learned, right? And you know more importantly than accept failure, institutionalize those learnings, right? I think that's where. It, you can have a great place where, you know, failure is not punished, for lack of a better phrase, for, from a culture perspective. But if you want that culture to get better, how are you taking that that learning and making sure the next person behind you doesn't make the mistake? That's what I think the, the best organizations are doing. That, that absolutely tops. Um, we are on the line with John Gertel uh, of Pragmatic Marketing. I'm going to go ahead and we'll try this again. We're going to do an ad from uh, – from our friends at Deliver, they're an email marketing uh, software company that that really uh, just works hand in hand with their clients to to get the mail out right. Delivera has been providing email software and professional services for more than 13 years. Delivera helps businesses and organizations execute effective email marketing campaigns by providing dynamic software and professional services. From full-out consulting engagements to help when you need it in areas such as design, production, deliverability, and testing. Voted one of the 2011 best places to work in Indiana and one of Inc. 5000's fastest-growing companies. Delivera partners with businesses and organizations across all industries and verticals and truly opens its doors each and every day to put the customer first. To learn more about Delivera, visit www.delivera.com or call 866-915-9465. 
Tell them you heard about Delivera from the Marketing Technology Blog. Those folks over there are absolutely fantastic. I think, you know, in in line with our topic today, right, you know, that they do one thing, you know, really well, and uh, and and their customers love it for it. Organically grown company, no, you know, no, uh, you know, didn't take money from anybody, just grew by word of mouth and by slowly winning over customers. So that's 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 the way to grow a company in my books. Well, well that's well, kind of. The- I'm sorry, go ahead. Isn't that just kind of how the, the whole Indianapolis tech scene's grown up? I mean, it seems to be pretty exciting now as it relates to social and engagement. There's lots of stuff happening in Indy now. It is. You know, I think I think a lot of it is just because, um, you know, obviously we had a few, you know, key companies, you know, a Prima, the Aprimos of the world and Exact Target and uh, Cha-Cha, um, but I think you know what's what's happened now that's even more impressive is you know as people are leaving those companies and then starting new companies and those people are merging with other people and and so now we have this kind of ecosystem here locally of you know marketing professionals from all over the place you know AutoBase which is an auto CRM. To uh, interactive intelligence, which is you know uh, phone and 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 voice over IP, to Exact Target. Who else? Who else do we have here? You know, Right On Interactive, which is a, a marketing automation company, Delivera. But but what's really fascinating is like we're on our third or fourth generation of people, um, and and that's what I think is really exploding the market is. The, the old guys, the big guys, they're there. They're okay. They don't really support this, you know, grassroots, you know, thing that's happening here. Um, but but there's all of these people that have left those companies with bigger ideas that are, you know, now they have the courage to go to go out and try to build something. And and that's what's really exciting about it is is that's the culture that's really taken off here. Um, so yeah, it's it, it is exciting, and I think. The other thing is all of the exposure that those companies gave all of these employees that are are walking around and and uh, obviously all of the uh, you know Purdue IU Butler uh, they they are all working hand in hand with these companies as well and uh, and so now we have a feeder system of professionals that have had internships and are coming out uh, and are are ready to to drive innovation so. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It is incredibly exciting. I, I wish we had a little more San Francisco attitude in us, though. Where, you know, uh, when when we meet with our friends out there, like MindJet and and some of the other companies that we're working with, um, the big companies out there tend to throw that hand out there a lot more often to the little companies to kind of get them off the ground. Here, you're, you're pretty much <laughs> you're pretty much on your own. So we all help one another. So, so I, I assume bootstrapping has different poles, and the the indie pole is a uh, little less, a uh, little more labor intense. I suspect. Yeah, you, you gotta you gotta kiss the ring. <laughs> there, there, there are two, two words that come to mind when when I think of bootstrapping in, in uh, the Indiana tech community. Rube Goldberg. Um, <laughs> we're just slowly coming out of this this period where I think a lot of young uh, tech companies think that they have to accept uh, older, allegedly wiser executive management as part of their 
uh, as part of their uh, investment. And, you know, to Doug's point, on the West Coast at least, um, you know, a lot of the, the venture capital firms uh, wisely will let, you know, let the young uh, executives maintain that role, but they'll come in and, and, and mentor them. So we're getting there, but um, thankfully we've got a lot more young tech companies that are sprouting up, they're growing, uh, and, and I think also they're learning from each other to some extent. I think that could improve, but... Um, but it's exciting. And we've had a, you know, we've had a couple of big wins. I think when you look at um, one company that we work with a lot is uh, iSocket, um, I S O C K E T. It's basically an ad management system. Um, you know, he left Indiana because the support wasn't here. You know, and he went to Southern California, immediately got funded, and and now has a great growing business. And then the other one that really comes to mind is FormSpring. You know, uh, Ade Alona, you know, founder of FormSpring, fantastic guy. Um, same thing. You know, it was out here. It was, you know, kiss the ring and 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 go go. You know, argue with the lawyers on how much you're going to give up of your company. Out there, it was open arms. You know, the 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 guys from you know Kevin from Dig and and the folks from Twitter totally embraced him gave him money and are mentoring him and, and giving him what he needs to, to build that business without this incredible pressure that we have here in Indiana. You know, the pressure here in Indiana, which is a good one, is how are you going to get to profitability? How how are you going to get to profitability? You know, Cha-Cha has just made it, uh, has just gotten a profit. Compendium has, and it's big news. You know, everybody's like breathing a sigh of relief, even though, you know, they're doing incredible things at these companies. And, and I think in, in some parts of the country, it's not so much whether you're reaching profitability, it's whether you're making a huge difference. Because they know when you make a huge difference, the profit will come after that. Well, so, and, but, the, but I, I think inherent in that difference is, is, you know, what's the model, right? What's the model to value for a community for you? Uh, is it is it eyeballs that will ultimately drive revenue? Is it users that will ultimately upgrade from a freemium model? And I think the level of patience to fund that maturing of that model is different maybe based on experience. There's probably less folks comfortable with tech investment in certain areas. I mean, I'm in Atlanta. You know, we see a very similar, you know, what's your speed to profit number when you, when you start talking with local investors in Atlanta? I think the, the patience of the runway, the expectation that, you know, there will be a pivot and there will be a do-over at some point, where's that in your plan? I think, you know, more mature investors understand that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think I think the other one that's interesting, too, is when you have a, you know, I, I, our, one of our attorneys, David Castor, put it perfect, you know, he said there's, Two billionaire, two billionaires in all of Indiana, I think, and uh, and when he goes and pitches in in uh, in San Francisco, there's 32 billionaires in the room, <laughs> you know, and uh, and and I think the you know there's there's also a maturity. You just said maturity, and I love that word because I think a lot of those guys realize that hey, some of it was timing, some of it was luck, <laughs> you know. And, and it wasn't all about the business plan, you know. And so they fund these companies knowing that there's, you know, they're putting, you know, money on black and money on red, 
and uh, and hoping that one of them comes up. And and here there's not, you know, that that tolerance isn't there. I don't know how it is in Atlanta, but um, and that's that's the other thing we see. So we're excited because I think the spawning of all of these young companies that are, you know, uh, obviously building revenue and and profitability early. Um, we have we have a guy right here next to us, Adam Small. He's he's not talking, but he's actually working on this platform. But he has a, a platform, Digital Home Info, that's kind of taken the real estate industry by storm and and spreading from state to state right now. And um, it's a it's a fantastic it's a you know a few clicks for a real estate marketer to get their entire virtual tours up, everything else, and um, total grassroots effort, you know and and uh, totally done by himself, and and not not any help, you know, kind of in 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 the region. Um, and when he takes off, guess what? It'll be fantastic because this younger group of risk takers will then be the guys making the decisions, you know, on who's getting the investment funding around here. And I think that's the maturity level that we have to reach, you know, before the model changes. I mean, you know, you just need someone that's been there, right? Someone that can be a mentor, keep you. I, I, I often say that, you know, I don't know if you guys have kids, but I got a, a gaggle of kids. I got four. And uh, I always get reminded of bumper bowling. And I don't know if you know, those of you that might not know what bumper bowling is, you take your, your toddler slash four-year-old bowling, and they blow up these inflatable things and put them in the gutters. And um, And I think a good mentor, you know, kind of, keeps you out of the gutters. I'm not saying they don't let you hit it a little bit, uh, but, you know, a good mentor will invest in you as an individual, a company, and allow you to make mistakes, just not the really bad mistakes. And so if we can just keep people out of the gutters, you know, people are willing to bumper bowl a little more often than, than uh, I guess, not have that uh, safety net. I think, I think yeah, your mentors become that safety net. John, tell us a little bit about your uh, your uh, blog, uh, Spatially Relevant. Yeah, I've been writing that for a long time. I have a lot of fun. Uh, is the busier I get, the harder it is to write. Um, but uh, I've been doing it five year, almost five years into it now. I guess yet, yeah, five years. And uh, it, it's evolved over time. I originally thought I, you know, would write something about geography, uh, which is why it was called Spatially Relevant. And uh, I wrote some post. Early on, it was about, and it was really geeky, and it kind of had like this geography tie into Twitter. I called it a let's do a Twitter stream remediation project. And um, Scoble saw it and tweeted it, and then I went from like geek geography boy to marketing guy um, blog in like 48 hours. Um, and so I, I I wanted to throw it away and use another one of my domains, but people kept coming back, so. I've been uh, blogging there since whatever 2007, and uh, I really enjoy. It. I think it's a great way to share insights. I, I mean, I learn so much from the people in our courses. I mean, as much as you know, I've got great things that, that I think I want to talk about. There's so much interesting thing, interesting content, ideas, and, and relevant things that I learn day in and day out. That you know, when I get a chance, I'll uh, share a presentation, share a white paper, tell a story. And so, yeah, that's the blog party, and uh, I enjoy doing it. I just wish I had more time. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I wrote this week that, you know, it's, it's, social media is absolutely 
there's a direct correlation between how hard you're working. <laughs> oh, was that your tweet? I retweeted it. Was that you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I retweeted it. Uh, yeah, 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 I retweeted it this week. I, I laughed when I read that. Um, and then I saw another one that was about your cl- your cloud score is directly related to the number of hours you worked this week, which I thought was hilarious. I've been seeing a good deal number of those. Apparently, the theory is that if you're actually working, your cloud score goes down, which I thought was uh, an interesting hypothesis. So it may be accurate. <laughs> well, John, I you uh, you you had a media opportunity. Uh, oh gosh, what was a couple of years ago to uh, to participate on your blog uh, with some other folks, and I I greatly appreciate that. And and to your point, um, it, it's the commentary that you get from from the folks who take the time to uh, digest the content, think about it, and then you know put put their thoughts out there that. I find extremely valuable uh, when I read your uh, when I read your blog. Just really great stuff. Well, you know what's interesting is you know, I like the conversation. It's just um, you know that that's one of the things I think that get, becomes disheartening for early stage bloggers. You know that, that they don't understand that you got to have a hundred people show up with their eyeballs to you know even think that anyone's going to comment and. Right. And the loneliest place, I think, is a blog with no comments. You know, I mean, there's there's nothing you know more lonely. And so, just keep at it. I mean, I think I went 60 days before I even had one comment. It was like a friend of mine, and uh, I don't know how long I went until it was someone I didn't know. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. It's the comments, the retweets, the likes. When I see that, that that's that's the pay. I mean, that's the payback. When I see someone actually share my content or talk to me about it, that's the, that's better than getting a check in the mail. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you got a little bit of love off of that history of the salesperson infographic. That was super cool. I don't mean to, you know, tell you you did something great on your show, but you did something great on your show. Yeah, the 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 folks at Caskey One, uh, you know, worked with uh, Jen Lisak. Jen's our our project manager here and and client advocate and uh and and they just put together uh, uh, uh just an incredible infographic i i agree it was it was really good and and we've got more coming we've got one coming for um delivera i think it's going to launch on monday um on mobile email that i think is the best that we've seen in the industry as far as pulling all of the stats together and everything so we we love doing the infographics, uh, and we we believe just like we you know I guess go back to square one on this, you know we don't do infographics about you know Easter egg hunts and you know <laughs> the history of cheese and you know we do ours about relevance. You know we want we want our our clients when our clients come to us and they say hey we got this really cool idea for an infographic, the first thing we want to talk to them is how relevant is it to your industry and. Uh, Caskey One came to us, and and you know we've talked to Bill quite a bit about you know just how sales has changed over the years, and and that's how that came to fruition was they actually did the document the research, you know, and talked through those stages. So thank you. I'll, I will pass that on to that team. They 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 uh, they definitely deserve the pat on the back. It was awesome. I laughed, although I laughed a little bit too along the way, which is always makes for a good infographic. <laughs> well, John, John, where can people? You know, obviously they can find you on your blog, and they can find you out on out on uh, on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. 
your spatially on on Twitter and then uh, Facebook, obviously uh, pragmatic marketing. Um, are you doing any speaking anytime soon where people can go and meet you? Yeah, I got a couple uh, product camps on the. I don't know if anyone's familiar with product camps. Uh, product camps are uh, regional unconferences that are derived originally out of the bar camp uh, format, which is you show up, a bunch of product managers, marketers on a Saturday. Everyone comes up with their ideas. They write small little uh, abstracts. They go out and vote in real time, and we figure out who speaks. Uh, I'm attending them. I hope to be speaking at them. Uh, I've got Boston coming up, Boston Product Camp, uh, Raleigh. I think it's a it's a Raleigh RTP Product Camp, and uh, no, it's St. Louis. I have St. Louis coming up is what it is in, in uh, April 20th, and then I've got Boston in early June. And then I've got one other one off the top of my head. It's listed at productcamp.org. I encourage you, if you want to find out more about what's happening in your communities around technology, product management, and marketing, a great place to go share your war stories and hear about other folks. And uh, everything's listed at productcamp.org. And they're all over the planet. I was in Vancouver three weeks ago, and uh, London has one, Amsterdam. So I get to do a whole bunch of those and, I love them. I love going out on a Saturday and hanging out with my peers. It's it's an awesome time. And, and uh, if you if you get to Indianapolis, we'll absolutely promote it here and and uh, and meet you there. All right, sounds like a deal. Well, thanks, John. We can't can't thank you enough for spending your time this Friday afternoon with us. And uh, for people again, pragmatic marketing, uh, and then check out spatially relevant. Uh, John Gertel, uh thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you for the opportunity, and you all have a great weekend. Hey, you too, sir. Thanks, John. All right. Cheers. Connect with us anytime at marketingtechblog.com. And from there, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Tech Blog.